The only purpose of the Talking Space podcast is to educate and to inform. The views expressed in this program are the opinions, experiences, and conclusions of the guests. They do not represent the official policy or position of the Space Tweep Society as a whole, NASA, any other space agency, company, contractor, or affiliate. We choose to go to the moon. Another episode of the Talking Space Podcast. I am Sawyer Rosenstein, and joining me, I'm sorry we don't have any inflatable beavers and moose, but we do have an amazing team here with us, and that includes Gene McCulka. Welcome, Gene. Hey, Sawyer. Good, good evening. Yeah, we're, we're, I had the, the Olympics on, and, uh, and just, oh man, the closing ceremonies just, oh, please. <laughs> we won't even get to <laughs> beavers and moose. God. Oh my. And welcome yes. as well, Gina Hurley. Hey, Sawyer, how you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. And welcome as well to Mark Ratterman. I just want to know if they're space-rated and, uh, you know, safe for, for human occupants. <laughs> <laughs> I would not want to see what kind of engine those rockets take. Anyway, before we get too off-topic, watch the Olympic closing ceremony. You'll know exactly what we are talking about. <laughs> But in the meantime, let's get into our normal topics here about space. And the first one, and our major topic for the night, both chambers of Congress got together and met to talk about NASA and its future. Also there was Charlie Bolden and many of the media people who definitely had fun with this one and some people with some very interesting questions. So uh, let's break it down bit by bit. The general consensus that I got ultimately was that Congress is not happy. They are reminding both the White House and they are reminding both uh, Administrator Bolden that uh, they still hold the purse strings and they were not uh, privy to any of a huge policy shift that this that the 2011 budget represents. It canceled a key program, which was Constellation, and uh, pretty much. As uh, one of the, as, as uh, Miles O'Brien characterized it in his testimony, we kind of sort of all knew that the Constellation was sort of a dead man walking anyway. But um, if you're going to go ahead and, and make a huge policy shift by canceling, you know, the, the flagship program and not replacing it with anything just yet and throwing the keys to commercial, you know, to commercial enterprise to get us into low Earth orbit, um, hey, how about talking to the people that are going to go ahead and, you know, subsidize all this, which is you know, both houses of Congress. Apparently, um, the science subcommittee on the House side and the, and the science and technology uh, Senate committee were not consulted on this uh, beforehand, and they are none too happy about it, and they made their uh, displeasure known to, uh, to Administrator Bolden this week. Yeah, I mean, at this rate, it seems like they're going to have enough nays in both houses to actually overrule their uh, 
the current budget that they have at NASA. And again, that could be good or bad depending on what comes out of it. Yeah, agreed. A lot of the a lot of the senators and a lot of the congressmen are essentially feeling blindsided with this, is because they were not consulted. They a lot of folks in both houses have been um, their ally. You know, NASA's biggest cheerleaders in that respect and they feel hey you know you didn't clue us in on this the other thing that apparently was was brought out too was that elements of the press may have had parts of this budget before congress did and there are none too pleased about that either (laughs) you know so uh, they're saying, hey, you were going to go ahead and talk to members of the press about this before you were going to talk to us. Wait a minute. We got to vote on this thing. We still have to go ahead and, and, and allocate the money for this. And you did not consult with us, and but you were going to go ahead and throw this out to the press. Uh-uh. Bad move. Don't do that. And, you know, again, both houses of uh, – of the legislative branch let NASA know and essentially the White House know that you can't do that. Well, who's to say that that wasn't planned? The president has a uh, plan that this is rolled out and the uh, House and Senate get upset about it and they put a stop to it and the president can say, well, I tried. Yeah, you know, the president can say, hey, you know, we can, you know, Put a, we can just put a stop to the whole thing, but uh, it, to me, it, it looks like they were looking for, and, and, and dare I say, in my eyes, I think think we're looking for a, they were looking for a scapegoat here, and albeit, I think, unfortunately, Administrator Bolden would be that particular scapegoat on this. Oh yeah, it seemed like everybody was just taking all their hits at him, regardless of what was going on. They were blaming him mostly for all of the failures in the budget of or at least what they consider to be failures yeah the, the other thing too was that they were trying to find out exactly who was the one who hit you know the destruct button on constellation and who decided to really really go down this path and um you know again there wasn't really a straight answer now i mean i realized that some meetings are uh, sort of have to stay private, and especially when you're when you're dealing with the White House. But I think the Senate and and the House were trying to isolate who was responsible for basically suggesting to kill Constellation and not replace it with anything. And uh, and that was that was one thing that that's that seemed to be a general theme throughout both the uh, the Senate and the House hearings. Uh, another thing, too, was there was some question about who actually crafted this particular budget. Was it indeed uh, uh, Administrator Bolden? Was it uh, Associate Administrator Lori Garver? Was it, you know, who, who exactly crafted this thing? And again, um, no direct answer was given. And I think, too, that that's rattled a lot of uh, congressional and, and, and Senate cages. I think one of the representatives uh, said it perfectly. Other than calling it ill-conceived, he said that it provoked reactions of surprise, frustration, and anger among NASA supporters. And even among non-NASA supporters, it's still billions of dollars. There are very few programs, if you look back in the history of the United States, 
there are very few programs in any, any different department, if you look at it, where they had a project that billions of dollars were already put into it, and then they just pulled the rug out from underneath it. And so, right there, you're looking at something that it's reason for people to hate, even if they're not NASA supporters. Yeah, agreed. I mean, you know, but I, I think think ultimately you have to sit there and, and, and say, look, you know, if you're going to make a major policy shift, you've got to consult with, you know, the Senate committee and the House committees um, to go ahead and get this this going. And, and that's what really, really irked Congress. I mean, you know, some people say, yeah, you know, it's not the first time this is, you know, Congress has been blindsided with things. Yeah, it hasn't. It's not the first time, trust me, and it won't be the last. But uh, when you're dealing with a huge, huge policy shift like we're dealing with here, and we are essentially talking about reworking the human spaceflight program. We are talking about re-engineering it. And if you're talking about... uh, those type of implications and and you don't involve the people that are going to pay that they're going to authorize um you know the the budget to go ahead and pay for all this those people have a tendency to get a little torqued off and that's that's what we're saying do you get the sense that members of congress not mentioning anyone specifically who but do you get the sense that particular members in congress are are upset and angry because they were true believers in constellation Maybe they didn't realize how underfunded or behind schedule it was, or do you get the sense that maybe some of them just feel like the wool was pulled over their eyes a little bit on all this? Oh, definitely, Gina. Um, especially the folks in Florida. Uh, I, I think um, President candidate Obama's speeches were brought up on uh, on how he was going to go ahead and try to preserve. Uh, human spaceflight and, and uh, you know preserve constellation and, and and you know preserve the exploration architecture and uh, people in Florida you know voted accordingly. Yeah, but and, did he provide a timeline in the speeches? I mean, did he specifically mention we'll do it via constellation on this particular timeline, or did he talk more in generalities? I think he well, talked more in, more in generalities. Sometimes people um, fill in the blanks with what they want to hear, too. So, Well, the surprising thing about, about again, I, I really, and again, I'll, I'll bring this up. Before uh, candidate Obama's swing through Florida, the Obama's, the Obama policy on space was that he was going to cut it to the bare bone to pay for an education uh, initiative. And... Uh, um, I believe the budget was only going to be about seven billion dollars, and half of the uh, you know constellation was going to essentially be put in on life support to the tune of five hundred million dollars a year, and the whole manned space program was going to be put on hold for five years. Candidate Obama arrives in Florida. Bill Nelson gets his ear, and literally overnight, a new space policy is crafted which is extraordinarily pro-exploration, uh, extraordinarily pro-ending the gap or trying to shorten it, um, and uh, it was extraordinarily pro, um, pro-exploration. Pro-explo- so that equated to, hey, you know, to all the KSC, to all the KSC employees, it says, hey, my job is safe. This guy isn't going to hurt us. Let's follow him. 
and now he gets into office and um, I believe a, a Florida Today report issued, I guess, Friday said that it's not 9,000 jobs that are going to vanish over at KSC. The number is actually 23,000 jobs that will vanish over at KSC as a result of the shuttle program going away. So I, I think Florida in particular looks at this whole thing as a slap in the face. I mean, Mark, Mark, you're you're from that area. You're, you live in Florida. You could probably got a better handle on it than I do. You know, living in a small town in uh, north central Florida where I do, we don't see that much of the news from the Space Coast. I mean, it's there, but it kind of blends in like it does on the national level with a lot of things across the country. And uh, I kind of relate it to being close to Jacksonville, where you hear about things that affect the uh, the naval base there. When, when a, a ship is going to be added to the normal business at the port, it's big news. And when a ship is being taken away and going, you know, maybe rededicated uh, to another port, that's big news there. And I think a lot of that, uh, the, what we see with NASA, tends to affect local communities and outside that area isn't quite as big of an impact as as it is to us that are aware of the impact of industry in the space community. That's really a good point because when you think about it, NASA is not just Kennedy Space Center and Cape Canaveral. You've got people that work in Titusville, that live in Titusville, and put all their business in Titusville, Florida, but they work at the Kennedy Space Center. And when you lay off 23,000 people, as said uh, in that Florida Today article, right there you're talking about just a huge, huge economic loss. And that's what I don't think they're realizing is how much effect it has, not just on the space program and not just on the employees, but on the economy as a whole in those local areas. Yeah, so you're right, and you're going to have uh, – the impact is just going to be incredible. I mean, you're going to be talking about mom-and-pop stores possibly closing. You're going to be talking about hotels. You're going to be talking about you know local, local shops, restaurants, the whole bit that are probably at risk for closing. That's why I, I believe uh, the owner of uh, Dixie Crossroads actually staged a protest. I think this was actually – I think it was reported in, uh, in again in Florida today. Um, where you know they were trying to say, hey, you know, you, you better save these space worker jobs because you know my my establishment is now at risk. Although to be perfectly honest, their food is so good, I don't think that there's any reason that they would falter. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible, but uh, you know, I, and, I can I'll attest no, to that. And no, we are not getting paid to say that. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you, Sawyer, for mentioning that. It's uh, illegal, actually, but that's exactly. besides the point. Yeah, I mean. I mean those folks down there are, are really going to feel the impact of this. And Brevard County can't absorb 23,000 jobs. It just can't. So, By the way, they that rally you were talking about, it was reported in Florida today. And they kept saying that it was, quote unquote, worth fighting for was their rally cry. Yes, indeed. Um, so, uh, Who was I, the organizer of that rally? I saw a little bit about that in the news. The organizer was... Laura Lee Thompson, but it talks about a lot of the waiters and waitresses participating in it, and even the Brevard County Commissioner, uh, Robin Fisher, was there and uh, said that it was all worth fighting for, and a lot of support for that, and it's talking about all these things. I'll put a link in the show notes to this article talking about it. it it's just amazing how many people are supportive of this, 
all from one little business in one tiny little town in the middle of nowhere in Florida. So, okay, um, did anybody catch any of the general testimony itself? Um, there was first there was some very interesting um, comments by uh, uh, Senator Vitter, who essentially said that uh, he was going to uh, he he's very much against the budget as it's currently written. And um, I believe the quote was, and I know somebody out there is going to go ahead and write and, and say I'm, I was wrong uh, or, or misquoting him, but I believe the quote was he was going to fight this budget with every fiber of his being, close quote. Um, so he was not none too pleased with all this. He did also allude to the fact that uh, he felt blindsided by this whole thing, and he felt that uh, you know, by rights – he, you know, as a senator and all this, you know, that, that is sitting on this committee, he should have been advised of a major policy shift coming before it, it went public. So, again, this is just going to the conclusion that I believe we all reached here um, a while back ago, that the rollout of this thing was just completely botched. Yeah, Senator Ritter also made the statement that it, he saw it extending the gap to infinity. Yes, Yes, that's right, and uh, he that, that that's another another reason why he he felt that way. He felt that it was a it was a uh, uh, you know not just blindsiding the folks over at over at the Kennedy Space Center, but blindsiding NASA in general. And he didn't really think that uh, this was really really the way to way to work things. You guys, by the way, agree with that statement that uh, you know this could extend the gap all the way to infinity? No, I don't. I don't think that's possible. I, I've I think there's um, too many people that, including the president, who doesn't want to see that happen. And, you know, members of Congress. Uh, I mean, NASA does exist to explore. If uh, the gap's going to go to infinity, we don't need NASA anymore. I think what he's afraid of is that a lot of these commercial folks will may, may fail in their endeavor to get get a human being off the ground within you know and some of them are saying within two years some of them are saying within three years and I, this, this also came up in one of the hearings what happens you know if one of these companies these smaller companies fold in the process of trying to deliver a human rated system to NASA does NASA step in and pick up the pieces and and try to develop the system on their own I think uh, General Bolden was trying to make the point that, okay, um, you know, we would we would you know under Constellation we'd have Orion, and that would be pretty much it. That would be the only shop in town. Mm-hmm. Under under this new bold plan, we would have several options open to us, and if one folded, you know, or one did not work the way we wanted it to, we still have three others to fall back on. So in, in some respect, for at least low Earth orbit, it made, made some sense where, where you're not exactly putting all of your, your eggs in one basket. But um, I'm going to remain on, on the skeptical side because, quite frankly, none of these guys have actually had a successful launch. Now, the second round of this is going to open it to companies like Boeing and Lockheed and, and folks like that. And these folks know how to build spacecraft. They've been building them for NASA for years. So it should be very interesting to see once once part two of this this opens up. Yeah, I mean, going back to that statement before, there's no way that it's going to be until infinity. 
And I don't think NASA, if a program fails, NASA is not there to pick up the pieces. NASA is there to support the United States space program, not privatized industry. It's a governmental agency, not privatized. I honestly do not think, in my heart of hearts, that if anything collapses privatized, that NASA will go and even try. At this point, they're not gone for infinity. The gap will not be until infinity. But at this point, it's still going to be pretty long. And once again, too, um, the fact that that some of that uh, the Russians are, are talking about raising their their prices again on uh, launch services um, past 2012, um, you know, that also came up, basically saying that, uh, well, you know, they they know they've got a monopoly and, and thus are going to go ahead and charge monopolistic prices. And we'll continue to eat in to any type of budget that we may have to go ahead and do any further research or, or, or help uh, in an oversight role uh, to all these little companies. Because that's what I think NASA's role is going to be um, once you know they the, the, this starts moving. They were simply going to have an oversight role over over the uh, over the uh, uh, commercial companies. Right, sure enough, we cut the price of the space shuttle, they raised the price of the flight. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, would it, which also begs the question, would it be, would it, would it be smart to go ahead and keep running the, uh, the, the STS system, you know, through 2015? And a lot of, uh, a lot of experts don't think that's a hot idea. And right now, I think because of certain things shutting down and, and so on, I don't think it's possible even to revive some of the, the, uh, the shuttle you know, the shuttle uh, spare parts uh, uh, flow. So you're basically, you know, we're, we're, that, that bird's flown as far as the shuttle is concerned. Yeah, I think NASA's role is just going to be simply an oversight role. But another thing that sort of came out with this was, okay, you're going to go ahead and you're going to do this oversight role. What about exploration? And that's when, um, unfortunately, and I... I Dear Lord, please forgive me. Um, I started hearing the old soft shoe in my head because I don't think General Bolden knew honestly how to answer that question. Uh, the reason is I don't think NASA has a plan. You know, I got to just say, um, President Kennedy, when we declared we were going to go to the, put a man on the moon and return him safely by the end of a decade, we didn't even have a launch pad built. And I just don't want NASA to hold itself or wrap itself around the blanket of, oh, we don't have our technology perfected yet, so we can't put a deadline out there. And we put a very bold deadline out there in 1961, where we didn't even know what a Saturn V rocket was at the time or how we were going to get to the moon or who was even going to build a lunar lander and what it looked like. And we did it. Now, I'm not saying we have to have a 10-year deadline to get to Mars, but... I don't know why we're shying away from a goal and a deadline without saying, well, we don't have the technology yet. Well, we didn't have any technology then. We didn't have a vehicle assembly building. We didn't have a mission control set up then. I mean, we've got so much infrastructure in place. I just don't want to see them go down that inevitable. Maybe that's what they're talking about. I mean, the, you know... The, the, the gap can just extend by the, well, the technology is not perfect yet. That's space flight. It's never going to be perfect. You just you can make it as good as you possibly think it can be. It's never going to be perfect, and we've already learned that. 
Great point, Gina. Um, and indeed, when when Kennedy put the sun said said uh, we're going to the moon, it was just weeks after Alan Shepard's fifteen minute pop gun flight. So right. we we had approximately what fifteen minutes space flight experience. Guess what? We're going to the moon. The reaction within those in NASA was like, huh? You know, <laughs> okay, one of those deals. Uh, because they didn't know, as you pointed out, they didn't have any clue. The alloys that the Saturn V was was constructed of, out of weren't didn't even exist yet. But gosh darn it, we went ahead and we did it within. It, th- that was a that was a twenty year program. We did it in eight years. Yep, and we did it from scratch, totally from scratch. Exactly, and it, you know so. For us to sit there and to go, oh, well, we're going to sit here and, and just develop all these new technologies. The fear there is that, okay, you're going to go ahead and develop all this new stuff. But if you don't have a project attached to the, like, like the Vasmir engine or the Ion engine, if you don't have a project attached to those particular engines, if you don't have a, a ship that these engines are going to go into, this project's going to go nowhere. I mean, you'll have all this development, and it'll be all great stuff. But guess what? It will never be utilized. In fact, during the hearing, I, I forget which which one it was. It was either uh, I, I, forgive me, I don't know if, whether whether it was the House or the Senate one. Um, the the Prometheus project was brought up. That was a nuclear engine that was yep. looked into during the uh, 2003 2004 time frame, and that project died because it had no, you know larger project attached to it it didn't have you know like for instance the f1 engine had had the saturn V attached to it so the the prometheus engine had no project attached to it and that's why essentially it died and they want to make sure that that this you know sitting here developing all these new technologies is not just a way to 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 kill off the, the the manned space program all right so uh quite an interesting conversation what's your opinion We'd like to hear what you think. You can send your opinions to us at our email, TalkingSpaceOnline at gmail.com. As a message to us, you can just mention us at TalkingSpace on Twitter, or you could leave us a message on our Facebook page. Just go ahead and search for Talking Space. All right, now moving along, there is a conference that just recently occurred. Excuse me, a space unconference is a better way to call it. (laughs) And that was Space Up, the first one, and that was located out in San Diego, California. Our friends at Space Vidcast were able to cover the entire conference, where people would come in, sign up for a time slot. Not only would you get to watch people speak, but if you showed up, you got to participate and give your own very short speech. So it seemed like something really interesting. Sorry, was that required that if you participated, you had to speak? Why did I think that that was the case? It's not optional. That was the requirement for yes. attending. You had to speak. So um, do you know what the requirements were? Did you have to get up there and fill a certain time block or have a certain uh, degree of a presentation? Or you would, could you just get up there and prattle about for five or ten minutes about whatever you, you felt like talking about? Basically, what it is is that everybody would come in and they would sign up for a grid. Everyone... I believe they had to actually uh, sign up for something. They had a slideshow, if they chose to, that could run automatically. And uh, it would 
alternate and switch uh, slides every certain number of seconds. And uh, everyone would just give up and give a little five, ten minute speech. And on the board, you'd sign up uh, for exactly what you'd talk about. Yeah, um, I'm looking at the Space Up com- uh, site now. Um, and I'm, I'm reading what they were trying to say. Yeah, this, this whole thing was um, basically an unconference or something um, called a bar camp. As, as I've, I've heard heard it called, um, apparently they've had these little meetups about you know, the site says everything from you know science and technology to transit to heck even cupcakes apparently, um, but this one was was essentially the first one that was being held on on, uh, on space exploration. And apparently um, there was a list of folks there from all kinds of uh, places: uh, SpaceX, Maston, um, XCore. Um, the X Prize, um, a whole bunch of other folks, and uh, they were all there giving their own little their, their presentations and what they were doing and, and so on. And I guess if you also wanted to speak and had your own, um, I guess you know, death by PowerPoint presentation, you can get up there and, and, and do it. Yeah, you know, I, I guess it's a it's a good venue for uh, for free and, and open ideas and letting them flow, but. I'm kind of curious to find out what will come out of this event, and and what good will come out of the event, and and try to see if if any of these ideas that were that were cultivated there are going to be followed through. Indeed, looking forward to hearing about it. And the one thing that I'm looking forward to hearing about most is the result of the moon pie eating contest. <laughs> oh God! Of course, there was a contest. Of course. Uh, it started off on Space Vidcast, for those that didn't know, uh, and with uh, Blair from uh, NASA Edge, and they all had moon pie eating contests, which included one double-decker moon pie and an RC <laughs> cola. Oh, jeez. Oh, God. You could have one God. of each, and it was the person that could eat it the fastest. I think oh. the record was 53 seconds or something up until this point. And RC Cola, God, what a RC only. <laughs> what a, it's what under a the official stuff. rules. It has to be an RC Cola. And oh. so this actually occurred at Space Up. I saw lots of tweets about it, but <laughs> I have no idea of exactly what's going on in terms of who won or anything like that. But oh, looking at the rules, it is absolutely amazing. <laughs> God. Oh, boy. Uh, well, I, I, I guess uh, you know we'll have to figure out who was was it like the Olympics where you had a gold, silver, and bronze level, or was it just nope? It was one winner, and the first contestant to finish both consuming the entire double decker moon pie and drinking the entire cola, uh, according to the official rules, will be declared the winner. The contestant will indicate that the cola has been completely consumed by turning the, the cola can upside down and placing it on the table. The judges will determine if the moon pie has been completely consumed. And then the timekeeper will report and note the time that the first contestant finishes to determine if it's a new record. Oh, dear God. Well, I, I, I guess if anything comes out of out of here, um, that might be it. Um, I, I hope to God, that, however, for, for our sake, that that is not the only thing that comes out of this. And a lot of constructive ideas and a lot of... Uh, uh, a lot of uh, energy going forward will come out of this, and it would be interesting to, to watch, um, you know, I guess, SpaceX and Mazden and all these other companies to see if indeed you know, new ways of doing things 
came out of this. So uh, after all, these are going to be the companies that I hope will be getting crews to the International Space Station and to low Earth orbit. So let's let's keep our fingers crossed. Indeed, although in all honesty, I love one thing about this. The winner will be given the opportunity to make a public statement. The losers will be expected to clean up the mess. I'm just not going to go there. (laughs) I will leave that subject on that note right there. Yeah, that's probably a wise idea. Um, I'm hungry. (laughs) So before I get any more hungry, let's move on to one last order of business here. Yeah, it's it's a sad one too, unfortunately. I I got word um, last night on Twitter um, that we lost a rather accomplished artist uh, this weekend. Uh, Robert McCall passed away. Uh, for those of you who don't know, um, Robert McCall is, is probably the equivalent of, of uh, Chelsea Bonstall in his artwork. Uh, Chelsea went ahead and uh, graced, uh, put, uh, put the, uh, the visual to a lot of uh, uh, Werner von Braun's ideas. Robert McCall also put, memor- you know, memorialized a lot of uh, our accomplishments in space. In fact, the large wall mural that is sitting at the uh, National Air and Space Museum was done by him, and he has just really put a lot of, his imagination really put a lot of things to to light. In fact, he was one of the primary illustrators of the uh, uh, pioneering the the Space Frontier uh, report that was issued back in 1986 under the Thomas Paine Commission. Um, And he, uh, again, he's going to be sorely missed. just a, I, I had a, I had the honor of meeting him once at um, a uh, National Space Society uh, Space Development Conference back in the 90s. And um, again, just an extraordinary human being, and, and it's a loss that uh, we're going to feel for a long time. His artworks also featured in 2001 a Space Odyssey posters. Yep. And he's got several different collections of art, and some of it um, is for sale if you want to visit his website. It's uh, McCallStudios.com. Yep, and I have two of his works um, hanging up here. A link to his website will also be located in the show notes. And he has done so many things. I mean, he had visions of the past, present, future. He created things from post stamps, actually, NASA stamps. Not many people know of. He helped create some of the mission patches. And again, he will be missed and condolences to his family. He was 90 years old when he passed. I think we have one more thing to talk about coming up. Am I correct, Gina? Yes, we are. Our next show should feature Dr. Tom Jones, our astronaut that's come on and spoken to us in the past. Um, We are going to exclusively dedicate the show to his work with near-Earth objects and what he'd like to see happen in terms of Um, providing defense for the Earth regarding their potential threat to us. So uh, join us for that soon next week. Are we all doomed? Tune in and find out. Once again, next week, astronaut Tom Jones will come on to talk about near-Earth objects. And with that, that officially concludes our Olympics here, except we don't have any more mascots, uh, inflatable mascots jumping around, although we need to get some inflatable mascots for our show now. Please. In the meantime, I'd like to thank all the real humans that joined us for this. Uh, Gene McCulka, thank you. Pleasure as always. Sorry, thank you very much. 
Gina Hurley, thank you. I'm looking forward to Tom Jones next week. Oh, I'm sure we all are. He is a very eloquent speaker. It's very enjoyable to listen to. Indeed, and hopefully he doesn't have to break down any earlock doors here. <laughs> and uh, Mark Raderman, thank you as well. And thank you all. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be on this fine panel with such sharp folks. And thank you once again for listening. You heard earlier in the show, and they are also in the show notes, of any way you want to get in contact with us, whether it be about our talks about the future of spaceflight or anything else that you'd like to hear us discuss on this podcast once again you know the email address the twitter account and the facebook page so with that i'd like to say thank you once again for listening and have a great day night evening or whatever it may be where you are